This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. My guest today, a friend of mine, he's an owner-operator investor. He's a COO of Saratoga Group, big mobile home park fund. He's a leadership expert. We decided today we're going to talk about leadership, transactional leadership, transformational leadership, and, and really how to, how to lead an organization. So as a COO, he has a lot of experience in operations, but we're going to talk more on personnel and, and people management than perhaps the you know, water sewer bill back, the tax appeals, the, some of the other machinations in the mobile park business. So without further ado, please help me welcome Steve Sager. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ferd. Good to be here. Appreciate you having me on. You got it. Well, tell us, I know a little about you, obviously, and we've talked about this topic offline, but maybe tell us a little more about your background, how you got an MHP, and then we'll, we'll dive into just general tips and tricks as it pertains to leading an organization. Absolutely. Yeah. So sort of an unorthodox entry into the industry, like, like many I meet, yeah. but I'm actually thankful for that because I didn't have to unlearn bad habits, you know, to, to learn the good ones. So, um, yeah, back in 2017, I was working uh, totally unrelated Department of Homeland Security, working working my way up there, thinking I'm going to end up in D.C. and try to make a difference there. And a friend said, hey, you got to meet you got to meet this guy. He does mobile home parks. And I quite honestly said, you know, what the heck are you talking about? Why would I why would I do that? Why would I even consider that? Anyway, for whatever reason, I, I took the meeting and like many people, you know, just blown away by the numbers. Right. Undeniable there. But also, also by the impact that could be had, I, 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 for myself, at least there was, you know, a big stigma there that was a bit hard to overcome. And um, so, so I had a meeting with this guy, we, we sort of talked for a couple months, and, and he ended up offering me a regional position to oversee a Bay Area portfolio. And uh, so I started as a regional there and uh, first, first day on the job jumped in as a community manager at our largest park, high density urban park. Uh, super high rent con- or super strict rent control ordinance, uh, you know, under undergoing the utility upgrade program, 17 evictions, you know, HCD violations. It had everything you could you could not want in a park. <laughs> and I thought, boy, this is the perfect training ground for me. So I sat in that office, smoky office. I remember remember it vividly and just absorbed everything I could. And it really sort of propelled me to to take on more in the industry. I ended up. Um, promoting a couple times with them and, and did some awesome things have, have nothing but respect for, for those guys out in California. Uh, a couple years after, after that, I, I got connected with Sam through another friend and, and I didn't know Sam at the time. I didn't know um, his business really, but uh, we had breakfast one morning. And it was clear that uh, we had some, uh, some quick unity established around like ethics operations and his vision he was at a space a lot of us find ourselves at Ferd, and that is the space between no longer and not yet. Maybe, maybe some of your listeners have been there, right? Like you're not yeah, three parks, absolutely. but you're not 130 parks. You're, you're, you're right in between that space, a lot of growing pains. And for me, that's my wheelhouse. That's, that's the space I, I love most. So, so um, joined Sam and, and since then I've moved my family to Tennessee. 
Uh, we've opened a Knoxville office here. So we're, we have a California and Knoxville office and uh, got five or six already in that office and growing every, every month. So very, very excited to be with Saratoga and uh, super blessed to be in the industry at a time like this. No, that's great, man. It's been it's great to see you guys grow and everything you guys have been able to do. You're obviously a good shot, but yeah, as you, you and Sam had had those discussions, I'm sure when you're at that kind of in between of, you know, are we big enough to scale or are we big enough to bring on COO, for example, you know, instead of just a district manager, are we big enough to bring on additional accounting staff, admin staff, right. special, special project people. It's, um, it's fun and exciting, but it's also scary, right? I'm, I'm kind of going through some of that myself because it's just like, man, I feel like I'm ahead of HR, you know, at, at most days. <laughs> I know you feel the same way you mentioned that, like you're the HR director because there's so many personnel changes. <laughs> Uh, totally for the, for the good better than the worse is good but tell us Absolutely. tell us a little more about your day-to-day and then and then and then really i want to focus on two topic you and i've talked about on how you're leading that organization through uh yeah, growing pains but really through growth sure sure yeah so so to start for the question i ask myself every single monday morning is how can i bring the most value and i challenge anyone out there listening if they feel you know you get in a rut or you get a little stuck or bogged down or your team members get bogged down start there like, what are your unique skill sets that can bring maximum impact for that, that week? And then go after those, put everything else aside. So for me, that's connecting with people and that's uh, helping, helping our team grow, like mentorship, development, coaching, staff. Uh, it's special projects that really no one else might want to take on, like start a new office and find used cubicles that are cost effective to, <laughs> to put, our, put our team members in and, and, uh, and mixing in some, some due diligence trips. We, you know, I'm constantly traveling and enjoy, enjoy that element. Uh, and then overall, you know, just a, an injection of, of, of life and purpose to, to our culture. That's really been what Sam and I have focused on. We, we want people that want to stay for the long haul, you know, burnout is common. It's a fast paced business. So how do we uh, get our people to, to be engaged and to want to stay for the long haul for sure? That's great. You, you, it's funny you mentioned culture because I was having a conversation with my team yesterday and I've got a friend, he, he's in ministry and he lives this to a T, but he says, whether you recognize it or not, you are a walking culture. And every time you walk into a room, you're bringing a culture with you. And he said, and, and everybody, everybody in the room has to either react to you or vice versa. He says, and me personally, I, I prefer to be the, the thermostat that sets the temperature as opposed to a thermometer that just reacts to it and reads it. And right. I never heard that analogy, but I thought it was really cool. And I was like, yeah, and he does. He, he walks in the room and, and you know he's there and, and he brings it. He brings a culture um, mm. of, 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 of joy and, and energy and attitude. It's like, that's kind of cool. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm going to strive for that, right? It's kind of cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I've heard it said, you know, leadership is a dial tone, not a light switch. Like you're not just on and off. You don't clock in, clock out as a leader. You're constantly influencing your team, whether you're aware of it or not. And sometimes you got to dial it up. Sometimes you got to dial it back, whatever the situation you know, requires of you. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I was, I had an internship with the army JAG Corps you know, when I was in law school and it looked hard at possibly joining the service and have a lot of respect for the guys that do. And, mm-hmm. and I remember they had a Marine JAG Corps. I looked at that as well. They had a, a, a amazing inspirational leadership video as you'd expect from the marine corps right sure and and this was i don't know if it was marine or jag or army guys at the time but they were telling stories of like in japan world war ii guys were in their foxhole and they were paralyzed with fear and they would Mm. basically lay there and soil themselves 
and wait for the Japanese to come stick a bayonet in their heart. You might as well get, logically, you might as well get up and turn and shoot. Worst case scenario, you get shot with the bullet or they get closer and they stab you in the heart with a bayonet. So sure. the logic went out the window, right? Because of emotion, because of psychological impact. So a manager sits in the back and yells, get going. A leader grabs him by the shirt, pulls him out of the foxhole and says, follow me. And in his result, you just saved that guy's life. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that's, that's a, that's a great, great analogy of a leader to get people to fire, follow you into a firefight and, and again, get follow you because you're willing to be in the front and fighting with them. And, I, and I've never forgot watching that video. Beautiful, beautiful story. Reminds me of the def, my favorite definition of humility, Ferd, is how much you view as beneath you, right? I mean, you can't tell me, Ferd, that you and your dad haven't crawled under those trailers yourself, right? With the flesh. Oh, in fact, I think I remember a, a LinkedIn post back a couple months and you guys, it's like six, six degrees where you're at. Oh. And you guys are up. So, so, so I love that leading by example. And we'll, we'll get into some of that today that, you know, with the, the transformational leadership approach, it's, it's a beautiful thing for sure. Yeah, great. Well, tell, tell me a little bit more about, you know, just maybe the definitions of transactional and tra- transformational women. And then, you know, what's, what's, what you see in the leaders that you aspire to be and what you do as a leader yourself. Sure, sure. Yeah. So let's start with leadership as a broad topic. I get asked a lot, you know, what's what's the most important thing to be, become a great leader, right? I ask that a ton too. And maybe I should re-ask that from time to time, right? Because <laughs> that, that seems to evolve a bit. But uh, I remember reading about a Cornell University study years back on 72 executives ranging from like 50 million to 5 billion big companies. And they did a study on what were the commonalities, what were the differentiators, if you will, that that set these, these CEOs apart. And I, I was fascinated as I was reading through this and curious, right? I mean, just for the listeners, plug in what your answer would be. I, I plugged in what mine would be. Anyway, it came back that self-awareness was the strongest predictor of success. And that has changed my leadership paradigm in a huge way. The idea of holding up the mirror and understanding who I am and who I'm not and putting people around me you know, Sam putting people around him at Saratoga, you putting your guys around you sure. that, um, that strengthen your blind spots. I call them balconies and basements, right? We all have them in, in our leadership. And so, so you better be aware of both of those. And, and that's a start. The, the second thing is just a bias toward action. I mean, just, just, I don't even set an alarm and I'm up for 430. It's I, people say I'm crazy, but my mind just keeps going. I, I, I want, more, right? I want to, I want to learn more. I want to contribute more, make a greater impact. And, and the, the leaders that I know that are highly successful will always take action. Even if it's the wrong action, it's better than inaction. And right. uh, so those would be the two things that come to mind, right? Right off the top in terms of transactional and transformational leadership. For me, it's about putting language to them and then sharing that with your team so that there's an understanding of, of why you're operating the way, the way you do. So we'll start with transactional transactional involves positional authority, right? So you have people that report to you. Transactional leadership fits perfectly in the MHP space because we have to have results. We have to collect rent. We have to read meters, right? We have to serve notices and go to court. We have to do all these these rhythmic operational objectives every single month, right? Right. And so what we've done at at, at Saratoga Group is uh, we, we create, again, every single week rhythm, we want our team to repeat the same patterns and then what's rewarded gets repeated, right? So we have a weekly call every week. 
we report on delinquency every week from the community managers. We have park videos that are required and park reports every week. We have a Facebook post that's required every week. We have a pipeline meeting every single week and we go through each of our, our tasks. So we create rhythm. There's a transactional approach there within our, our culture, sort of embedded in our culture. And that maximizes short-term results that are essential in the MHP space. You can't go without these things. You can't, you got to set the expectations, you got to monitor them and you got to praise and reward good behavior, right? We have a phrase that we say, we, we are what we celebrate. So whatever you shine that light on as the leader, that's where your team's going to focus. So you better be mindful of, of that. So that's, that's transactional leadership. For maybe I'll pause there and pass it back to you. What, what, do, what do you focus on in terms of the transactional components in your, in your work? I think what you're talking about is good. I, I agree with all that. And I want to touch on the decisiveness because that, that's one of my better traits, I guess. And, it, and it's because I'm of the opinion, you know, indecision is a decision, right? So there's just paralysis analysis is a decision to, go to, to get you nowhere. So uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, take a bite at that apple. And sometimes it doesn't always taste right, right? But that's, that's part of it. So definitely there with you. As far as transactional leadership, similar structures, I, we have a compensation structure that, uh, you know, in my ideal world, everybody would have zero base. And then they would have <laughs> make twice, not for a number of reasons, right? But have twice the income potential, um, mm -hmm. but based on production and based on positive results that we can define. So I, I came up with this like merit badge system which is kind of cheesy, but like, you know, you're an accounting wizard. Once you get accounting and rent manager down, you get a thousand bucks. You're a sales guy. Once you get the sales process down, you get a thousand bucks. Once you personnel management, project management, all these different processes. And, you know, and then we do other bonuses and things, you know, for just high tide rises, all ships kind of bonuses. But sure. I worked in government for five years. And when I took over the position, I had a 75 person department, an assessment department. And when I got the job, the county executive told me, congratulations, you're taking over the most dysfunctional department in the history <laughs> of government. And which I don't know if that was true, but um, I saw I saw a lot of what not to do and how to motivate people, how to lead working in a bureaucratic organization with mm. limited flexibility in their system. So try to just, like you said, have have metrics, um, kind of a kind of a scorecard of here's what you need to do every week. Have and then, and then to some degree cross training but to some degree mm -hmm. siloed lanes and that's, and that's hypocritical at times or inconsistent, but like, I'd like everybody to learn operations. So everybody, I got lawyers, just all they do is practice law. No, I take them in the field. Hmm. Each of them, here's, here's what that vacant lot's worth to your customer. Here's what that occupied lot's worth to your customer. Here's what the setback difference is and how it's going to help us sell these houses or not. Hmm. So then when you look at that zoning, look at those setbacks as an owner operator and think like a businessman instead of a, instead of a lawyer. And then same thing with the whole company. So really just trying to get people cross-trained, but then also really, okay, your job is you're the you're the bookkeeper. Your job is you're in charge of project management. Your job is you're in charge of admin. You know, and so it's it's kind of a catch twenty two on some of those. But that's that's kind of how we try to set it up um, from a structural standpoint. And then we have you know lanes and hierarchy, if you will, from you know part greeter, part time, all all, all the way on up. Yeah, yeah, that's that's well said. I, I, here's a little test if, 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 that I've that I've used before for transactional leadership. So, say your team's sitting sitting in a room around you, and you uh, you have three by five cards, and you pass them around to your team, and you say, "Right, the five things that are expected of you in your job." Uh, first time I did that, um, it was a bit embarrassing, humbling. Right, be a nice community manager, right? Like, like I mean, just not 
Wow. Uh, not clear on the expectations. So you want to be good at transactional leadership. You got to get clear on expectations first. Your team should be able to, you know, say this. I like, I like to work in threes or fives, but like what sub 10% delinquency for every park we've owned over six months, whatever it is, right. Define it, define right. it, define it, and then measure it and track it and then reward the good, the good behavior. So that's sort of step one, two, three on the transactional side that, that has worked um, for, for me. That's good. I should, I should do that as a test really to, to see how and I'll give you a report on how bad or good I'm doing it, but yeah, give it to my team and say, write your duties on it. Some of them I know they know it because I'll, my park managers, I'll be like, here's your number one duty. Sell, sure. sell, right, sell. Right. You know? And obviously it's like there's customer service. There's all kinds of things. Community yeah. manager manage one of the hardest jobs on the planet. Oh um, gosh. It's yeah. what you got to do. But then, and like my bookkeeper, I'm like, here's what your job is really called. Watch birds money. And like that's your, <laughs> that's your, that's your life mission. Yeah. You're here. You know, like, we can call it, but there's P&Ls, there's monthly reports, there's, you know, collection, there's entry, there's brand manager. There's, just watch my mind. I just, just watch. It, which yeah. is not all I'm afraid of. It's, it's investors. Sure, sure. But watch it like, like it's your own, you know? Yeah. But and, yeah. and when you get those three by five cards back, by the way, and they don't say what you would hope they would say, first question you should ask yourself is, you know, how have you or I contributed to the problem? Absolutely. So that's, that's the other thing the, the days of firing off a frustrated email, we, 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 you know, we've got to overcome that and get back to understanding that it's our issue. Like that delinquency number is my number. It's your number. It's our team's number. That's the kind of level of responsibility we're, we're looking for. Have you read Jocko Willink, Extreme Leader, Extreme Ownership? I have not. You got to You got to read it. Uh, okay. Our whole team read it and it's, and, and, and it's, it, it addresses what you just talked about. Um, and he's a Navy SEAL I and mean, he's, he's an alpha male stud. And mm. in that example say, wow, I thought my team would know what's around the three by five card. I really failed them in communicating with their core job duties work because they missed it. And that's my, and hundred percent my fault. Right. And then, but then my regional manager will, if they'll be like, no, no, it's hundred percent my fault. Cause I supervise them directly. And the community manager will be like, no, no, it's my fault because I should know that. In fact, I do remember you saying this and this, and, but ultimately if I'm the CEO of the organization, it's my, everything is my fault. Um, yeah. and you delegate, delegate, and you find good staff, and you outsource, and you leverage because you only got 24 hours a day. Um, <laughs> and your wife gets mad if you come home late more than about four days a week. I can assure you. Um, so, anyway, uh, extreme ownership. Uh, Beautiful. Top, yeah. Top, top 20, if not top 10, leadership book. Uh, awesome. I'll have to check it out for sure. Who do, who do, who do you who do you recommend while we're on the topic of books? Uh, who's your who's your your Babe Ruth in the leadership category? You know, Jim, Jim Collins built to last good yep. to great stuff. I take a lot from that. A lot of faith-based stuff too. Uh, a book years ago called visioneering by a pastor named Andy Stanley. I've heard, I've heard of that. I've not read that one, but I, yeah, re really, really interesting book. Um, but I, I sort of blend, you know, the human development coaching side with, with the industry and, um, find that it, it works really nicely uh, because the impact back the impact on people, it's all about people prior to working in government. I did some nonprofit work overseas and I've always, always uh, been interested in improving process and people. Um, and uh, so love, absolutely love contributing to, to organizational behavior and those, those sort of topics always interest me as well. Great. Yeah. So let's move over to transformational leadership because I feel yeah. like that's where the conversation sort of stops here in, in my experience, right? So we get our transactional stuff set up and it's, and it's working. We're getting a rhythm going, at least for a lot of my journey, I, I stopped there. I didn't even know this other sort of realm of leadership uh, was in play. And so 
So again, uh, transactional leadership focuses on positional authority. Now we get into more of the moral authority. And um, this is connecting all those processes and busy work to purpose. Why are we doing what we're doing, right? And, and, and that increases motivation, engagement, creative thinking, but it's critical here. Primary mistake that I see with transformational uh, leadership is pace. So we, we move so quickly, right? We have so many deals in the pipeline. We have so many projects going that we can't really slow down and identify those opportunities to invest in our team, to help them grow, uh, to create that longevity, to create uh, or cultivate a, a creative thinking kind of uh, culture in our, in our company. Uh, quick, quick example, um, we in Knoxville, we're implementing a, a once a month, half hour team meeting, and it's off, it could be completely off topic from MHP. It might just be a developmental thing. Sure. We did our first one. Uh, and the response was like, I mean, the team was just like a sponge. It was like, oh my gosh, like my, my employers investing, you know, investing yeah. in me and, and they, they believe in me and want, want the best for me is, is a really cool thing. So you got to slow down a little bit to see the texture and color in terms of the opportunities in, in the transformational space. It's a little more challenging for us, fast paced, uh, people, but, um, if you miss it, you, again, you squash any creativity or ideation opportunities, right? It's like your team, you, you know, somebody brings you an idea and it's like, no, we already have a process for that. Move on, move on versus like, okay, what if the idea works great? What if it doesn't? I still want to empower this person to think creatively. I'll give you another practical example for it is when a team member of mine brings a problem, right? There's issues every day in mobile parks. I'm, I require them to bring a, a thought out solution. So you never just come right. up and say, hey, Hayford, what do you think this happened? I, I'll just be like, what do you think on purpose? Like, yeah. I want to know, I want you to think, I want to give you the elbow room to, to, to think about the problem, not be so busy that I'm just like, do this. You know what I mean? And, and over time, those, um, those things add up for sure. That's, that's crucial. My friend, Nick is, uh, he's listening. I'll give him a shout out. He, he manages a number of people at a kind of big IT healthcare company and he's big on that. Just say, what do you think? And they'll say, well, I don't know. Well, what do you think? What do you, you know? And he just like makes it over and over and gets to critical thinking. And, and that's hard mm -hmm. to do as a manager, mm -hmm. as a leader, I think, mm -hmm. because, you know, inherent, maybe speaking from my own, so maybe it's pride. Um, I want to give the answer. I know the answer. I know it better than you. Well, mm -hmm. I'm not letting you get your critical thinking and your analysis genes going and I'm proud right. of you. So I need to make you think and it's slower. It's inefficient relative, as opposed to give me the, give you the answer. But long term, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm letting you build that muscle, which which makes you better, makes me me less necessary. You know, which is which is better for me in the long run. But yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely with you there. That yeah, that's key to developing people is, is making them think for themselves. Totally. When I when I, I, I think that, about I do that with financial reports. So I'm really yeah, good at sure, sure. before I just give the fix and you know, there's an error here there. I'll just look at a couple a couple accountants, see if I'm like. What do I see wrong here? And then I'll start with like the lowest paid person. Can you find it? Yeah. Great. And if not, can you find it? And, and more and more other people are finding them. Sometimes it goes all the way up and I'm like, here's why it's wrong because, sure. because of this. You know? Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's fantastic. Um, when I think of transformational leadership for it, I think of it, they're the intangibles of leadership right? They're the things that aren't measured like transactional stuff. And I actually, just for the, the sake of this conversation, checked out the word intangible a little bit deeper. And one of the definitions was it only exists in connection to something else. 
So what, what trans, transformational leadership does is it, it connects people to process. It's really a connector. And without it, you're going to burn a lot of people out, right? You're going to, you're going to all kind of, you're going to have a lot of turnover. And I've seen that world. I've, it's, you know, it's, it's a part of a lot of operators, you know, it's like reposting the same jobs over and over and over. You know, it's, turnover, it's tough. Turn, as you know, turnover in training is so painful for an organization. It's the most, um, I was at Frank Rolfe's, they had a headquarters event, I don't know, a year ago, and they had a, their training guy come in and he said the number one expense of that, again, I don't know if it's tangible or intangible, the number one expense of that company was training because mm -hmm. they had, I don't know, 300 communities and they had 300 community managers and every year they mm -hmm. replaced 150 of them. He said, mm -hmm. that is painful for us. Let's invest in a world-class training program and, and, and a C, you know, whatever, chief of training officer. You know, sure. a job a job that doesn't exist in most organizations. And, and, and you know, is most organizations are too small, probably in our industry. Mm -hmm. But sure. if you're big enough to handle something like that, or have or at least make it somebody's duty, invest in your people. Um, and it, I mean, maybe it was you and me talking the other day, or maybe somebody else. But there's that, that old quote. You know, CFO looks at CEO and says, uh, "What if we, what if we train our people so well that they leave?" CEO looks at him and says, "What if we don't?" Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and what if, you know, have you ever been at the point where it's like, I just don't have the time for, for everybody. So like, where do you start with that moment? At least for me is invest in those who invest in others sure. and you're going to double your investment. Right. So if you can't get to everybody all the time, I understand that. And that would be ideal. Right. I, I love information. Right. I want reports. I want to know what's going on, right. but, uh, but I'll pick and choose and invest in those people that I know are going to take that investment forward, whether it's a developmental concept or an adjustment with operations, whatever it is, invest in those who invest in others. Yeah. Great. And one thing I've found, you know, you, I, you, I got a baseball bat in my office here, but I, I use the example. Yeah. Um, I know how to bunt really well. Okay. But I, I could teach you how to bunt, but it's hard to do verbally. But if I have a bat and I'm, I can teach you how to bunt in about two minutes, I give you tips and tips and tricks on how to do the bunt. But it's because I understand it so well. So to, mm. in order to see what people are capable of, I'll, I'll often have somebody else, hey, go train this person on this new skill. And as a, and as a result of having to be the one training it, they, they recognize, you talk about the self-awareness, they recognize where the deficiencies are in their own understanding. And they get, mm -hmm. they get smart. They get smarter. On, on the process and then they're and then they're better able to go teach it there's an old saying if you can't teach it to an eight-year-old you don't know well enough right and and that's how i feel about bunting if you, if you don't if you don't know how to teach me to bunt you're not that good a bunter and there's more to it than just half swing the bat as you probably know right there's, there's a whole process to it and yeah. it's when you go to train somebody else you realize that you can't use acronyms you can't use you know say things like well you know how it is no i don't it's like people say <laughs> I, I talked to the seller he said x i'm like Hold on. Yeah. Which seller? Mm. Which property? What's the kind of you have to mm -hmm. remember? I was not in the on the 20 minute phone call you just got off of. So right. I can't just jump right in. You need to give me context clues. And, yeah. and that's part of being a great communicator, which is part of being a great leader. Right. Oh, well, well said for sure. So let's 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 talk about young emerging leaders in the space. I talk with a lot of I don't know how your staff um, you know, if you have any younger folks, but we have, we have a number of college age interns coming on and we're trying to build out kind of an intern program. And I'd imagine there's other operators that are, that are considering that too. Um, my, my advice for, for young people in the industry is first learn to follow really, really well. 
a good follower, follower is a great future leader. And so ask a ton of questions, get around smart people. Right. And, and the second thing for, and we kind of touched on this, but for, for all of our team members is take responsibility before you are given authority. That's the person I'll give the authority to. I don't know about you, but it's the person that owns it fully before they're given authority. I hear this all the time. How do you influence someone when you don't have authority, right? I don't even have any direct reports. How can I be a leader? How can I? And I'm, I'm looking for that posture of taking full responsibility of whatever topic we're on, whatever system you're managing, right? And, and in doing so, good, good or bad, whatever the results may be, that's, that's on you, that's on us. And, and that's the person that's going to get the promotion, right? Not the person that's tr- trying for the promotion and asking for the promotion and pushing all responsibility elsewhere. That's so, a great, um, great point. I mean, I've heard it said leadership is not in a job title. I mean, I was, I was yeah. a pretty good football player um, and we used to play backyard football in college. And, you know, I set my, I was, I was become, I was like, I'm going to lead this team. And like, I would become the leader of the football field on a pickup football game within the first 30 seconds. Nobody was deeming, there was no vote, there was no hierarchy. <laughs> Nobody knew yet who was good or bad. Um, you know, and it just, it's, it, it's a, there was a guy I used to work with and he was, he probably 70 years old and he was six foot seven. So you don't, you don't see a lot of older guys wow. that, that tall. So that was tall. Yeah. Back when he, and he was a division one basketball player stuff. He was a very sharp tax attorney, mm. worked all kinds of hours. Um, and he had a good leadership role in the, in the organization. But what I, part of it was his height and his age. When he walked into a room, I said, I said one time to my coworkers, I said, man, that guy has a presence when he mm. walks into a room. And I was in his office a couple months later and I saw on his bookshelf a book called The Power of Presence. I'm like, <laughs> this guy learned this. And I'm like, and, and it's an attitude and it was, he was bringing that culture and leadership, I feel like is similar. That the leadership will fill a vacuum. Um, and, and when there is, a, and when there's a void of leadership, it's it's painfully obvious. And um, and it, I guess my point, yeah, if you see somebody who's a low-ranking staff person, but they take leadership and have ownership within, you know, job success will follow. Totally, totally agree with that. Yeah. No, I uh, we we believe in young people, but it's a it's a big investment. It, it's a huge time time consuming thing, but we we believe it'll pay dividends in the long, long term for sure. Well, they're cheaper too. Well, that's another part. Of it. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I'm half joking, but it's like, you know, somebody's out of, out of work, out of school, 22 years old. They, they say, Hey, I want to learn. I want to grow. They, they got to, maybe they have a little more hunger and they don't, and they practically, they typically don't have spouse, kids, mortgage. So they're, they're willing to travel They're yeah. You know, I used to work, you know, I used to work till almost midnight every night. And now mm-hmm. I take a three-hour break, you know, from six to nine to be with my wife and kids. But you sure. know, if I was if I was young and single, if you have ambition and drive, and energy, yeah, you might as well you might as well put the foot pedal yeah. on the gas. Right. Well, what a space to be in for a college-age student right now, too. Imagine the difference. I mean, <laughs> the the asset class is on fire. Let's be honest. And so you get a lot of young, talented people that that want in. Let's let's steer them in the right direction. Good things can happen for sure. Yeah, that's great. So what what else? I mean, how are you how are you inspiring these young leaders to, to grow other than giving them time, attention, vision um, when they are, you know, maybe I don't know, this might be the right, wrong word, but needy, so to speak, is, you know, how do you keep them motivated where 
it's unlikely. I don't know how your organization is completely set up, but presumably they're not making six figures. They're not getting equity. They don't have, you know, a division to lead. You know, they're, they're analysts or they're managers or they're accountants yeah. and, and it's not as glorious, you know, and it's not as sexy. So how do you help them to see the long-term vision? Yeah. I mean, they, they, our analysts can see the numbers and they can see if they, you know, they stay in the business and our, at our growth rate, the opportunities that'll be there. We, we, we're pretty transparent on that stuff. You know, if you, if you do good work and you're an ethical person, you know, and you're committed to the company, we want you here. We, we've already offered one intern that graduated a full-time analyst position and we've got two more interns right now we're, we're looking at bringing on. So, so there's a real path. That's number one. We, we don't just, you know, have them on a treadmill and, and then burn them out. And, and, uh, and number two, though, you touched on it earlier for, you gotta, you gotta explain the whole business. And the first place I go is we own and operate small cities. That's what we do. You got to understand the economics. You got to understand the infrastructure. You got to understand and and deal with the people. What about your neighboring cities or counties, regulations, you know what I mean? And when you look at a mobile home park from that perspective, it's much easier to to understand the business and ask the right questions versus if you just give them a pro forma, you know, some, some, some behind the scenes stuff and they never get out to the communities and see what's going on, how, how this connects to their work, right? Back to the transformational, bring meaning and purpose to those numbers, bring them to life. For, yeah. for us, that, that seems to, uh, to get some good traction with our, our younger folks, for sure. I think that's great. And that's another reason I like to take everybody in the field is help to break down that stigma we talked about. Look, this isn't a trailer park. This is, a, this is somebody's neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You can call it manufactured housing, mobile home, trailer. The reality is, is a neighborhood and, and, and we offer, as you know, a superior product to similarly priced single family or multifamily housing options um, in almost all respect. Frankly, I think every respect. So as a result, um, people really are investing this for the community's sake. So I, I try to get the employees that look, what if you lived here? What do you, how would you feel about this? And, 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 and I really do it a lot with prospects and I'm, I'm on site, you know, at least once a week somewhere, probably. So sure. I, inevitably there's a customer that comes in. And they'll, they'll be like, what are the rules? And you've seen my lease. It's mm-hmm. it's 26 pages and there's a 15 page leasing guideline park rules. It's robust. There are a million penalties, mm-hmm. but it really breaks down to three. And I tell the, I tell the prospect, I say, here's the three rules. Pay your rent. I, I, my goal in life is to collect zero late fees and, and zero um, penalty fees. Just pay your rent. Mm-hmm. Rule two, don't do drugs. Because <laughs> drugs can ruin a community and ruin your life so bad. I'm just really anti-drug. Mm-hmm. And the third rule is just don't ruin your neighbor's life. And they go, what does that mean? And I go, well, that's, there's, there's 18 pages of those. And what it means is that if I want to sit on my porch and just have a conversation with my next door neighbor, if you got 17 bicycles in the yard, that kind of ruins my atmosphere. Right. Now, likewise, if, if you're trying to, if you work nights and you're trying to sleep and I'm playing my stereo full blast, I might be ruining your sleep. If I got 16 junk cars, if I got two pit bulls running around no chain, I'm ruining your life. So it's just, it's just those three rules. Pay your rent, don't mm. do drugs, and don't ruin your neighbor's life, and the rest of it will work out. And yeah. I, I feel like it's the same thing with employees, you know, as far as like, look, put yourself in the other person's shoes, and how would you want this business to work? Mm-hmm. And obviously, the, and, and you got to be genuine. Like, you're like, oh, free rent. Like, no, nobody thinks free rent for real. Like, Put yourself in their shoes. What am I getting of value? You met your, your question. You wake up and answer How do I add value? It's the same analysis for your as an employee. How do I value the company? It's the same analysis for your your customer. How do I add value? I mean, 
it's 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 as simple as that, right? It's like that's yeah. what sales is, and that's what we're doing. We're selling an experience, we're selling occupancy, we're selling housing. You know, if I was really soft, I said we're selling the American dream, right? But I mean, it's yeah. true, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's well said. We have a, what we call the bus test at Fairtoga Group. You yeah. you probably heard the bus test, but yeah, uh, tell the, us. I'm, I'm familiar the, with it. The, the the idea being, yeah, if 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 a child gets off that bus stop in front of our park and is doing one of these, like some of us did as kids, you know. We haven't we haven't done our job. We we really we haven't, and and it's all connected. For it, I, I remember talking to a project manager we have who's who's phenomenal, and uh, he, I was telling him about you know this concept that we're all we're all responsible, and and even he is responsible for rent collection. And he goes, what you know? I don't. I'm just not connecting that. I'm working on landmark signs and solar lighting. Why why does that matter? And 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 we connected it all the way through. I said, hang on a second. So you understand that that you know family that drives through our park with a nice landmark sign and well-lit park, you know, on the paved roads and, and all this is far more likely to want to purchase their home and pay their rent. Right. So your job directly connects. And, and, and that's back to that transformational approach. Find those nexus points, find those connectors with your team, bring meaning and purpose in life to those seemingly kind of meaningless jobs, you know, a little bit tedious jobs right. and, and the whole, the whole thing comes to life. So uh, that, that, that'd be my two cents on kind of connecting purpose behind, behind the day-to-day stuff. That's great. Um, it's kind of the, the old, I think it's Simon Sinek's book is start with why. And it's, you know, and Tony Robbins for his time management system, the uh, results planning method or rapid planning method, he starts with the outcome, the, the goal, and then he works backward. Like if, if the outcome is I'm going to sell 20 houses this year. Okay. How do I get there? Or what's the, that's the outcome. What's the purpose? Well, the purpose is to increase revenue, get my bonus and provide 20 families with quality, quality affordable mm-hmm. housing. Okay. That's, that's, that'll motivate you a little bit. And then, and then now it's like, how do I get there? You mm-hmm. know, I gotta, I gotta comb my hair before I get there. I gotta have business cards. I gotta have flyers. I gotta understand pricing. I gotta post ads. I gotta do showings. The house is gonna be clean. I gotta have, you know, lights on. Blah, blah. And there's a million things like that. If you start with the outcome and you work backwards for purpose and why, and then you and then you get to the how, it's not as overwhelming. If you start with the how, you have this this to do list. I call it the mm-hmm. stress list, and it never <laughs> it never ends. And and you, you never get started because it's insurmountable, and you and you forget about the motivation, and, and you don't see the outcome. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you, there's processes. I'm sure you followed it. You know this too. Your the book you've mentioned probably visionary. It probably does, but the visualization process of mm-hmm. I'm going to imagine what it's like. You know, and I get one of my managers. I gave him an F-150 as a bonus. I said, if you sell 20 houses, I think it was I think it was 30 houses. If you sell 30 houses this year, I'm going to buy you a 30,000 dollar truck. And every time you sold a house, I'm like, hey, you're a little closer to that truck. And mm-hmm. it happened, and, and, then oh, the truck, wow. and then the truck happened. And I think he—I I, I don't think he thought I was messing with them, but <laughs> it, you know, it, it happened. He was pretty smart. I bought three trucks in the last. Did you really? One hundred twenty days. Yeah. I Boy, mean, I got to get on that initiative. That seems yeah, to be I mean, working. But, but, but talk. And the thing is about it. The thing about, and here's why I did the truck. One, because you can put tools in it, and it's, mm-hmm. it's functional. Two, something about driving a truck makes you feel a little better and you driving in the truck every day and you turn it on, you grab the steering wheel and that truck is paid for by your boss. You can work a little harder that day and you're going to preach. And when your friends ask, Hey, how'd you get a new truck? Well, let me tell you how much of a stud I am at work that I got a free truck because I earned this thing. And it just gives you a little, it gives you a little more panache and a chip on mm-hmm. your shoulder. Mm-hmm. And man, it's, you bring in a different culture. 
Um, so it goes back to how you, everybody's motivated different ways. Um, but we're all motivated in some degree by, you know, words of affirmation, mm-hmm. gifts, compensation, things like this. Um, so, sure. Anyway, yeah. Oh, that's, you know, that's beautiful. It's kind of tangent, but it's, but I, you know, motivating people is, is, is key to leadership. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm also motivated by Kansas city barbecue. So I'll be paying you a visit in the next couple months. Cause we hey, got, I told, we got you, a I told you yesterday, anytime, <laughs> man, anytime, uh, my treat, uh, awesome. we can go for breakfast we can go for lunch and go for dinner. There's all kinds of Kansas city barbecue. <laughs> You'll have to roll me out of there for it. Be, <laughs> yes. That'll be great. Looking forward to getting up to your neck of the woods soon for sure. What was Well, uh, Steve, what other advice do you have for other MHP owners, operators, uh, just in general, or more on, on leading teams, you know, sure. part here in a few minutes. Sure. Yeah. So just a kind of a final thought that's helped, helped me. And, and, uh, and that is, uh, I call it the balance of allegiance. So I find and talk with many owner operators and they have such a strong allegiance toward their investors. And, and that's, uh, critical, right? I mean, we, we've got a, uh, you know, work for them. And a lot of, a lot of investors, you think of an investor in these, you know, high net worth guys and some, some are and some are put their whole retirement with, with your company and, and you got to make sure they're getting their distributions. Right. So there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I view it like a tripod. And, and when you find that balance of allegiance is when, uh, at least for me, I get in rhythm and I, I, I feel like I'm on balance. So, so first is the investor. Second is your team. And then third is your residents. And so without one of those, and I'm sure just in hearing that for you can think of moments when you're like, man, I just, all I did was talk with investors for this week or whatever. And I, or all I'm dealing is with, with this residence, right. Or, or, or man, this team member balance of allegiance between those three is where, where it really begins. And I, I don't see it done. Well, I'm not there yet as, as a leader, I want to get there where I can find that true rhythm where one doesn't take from the other, right. You've seen sure. those parks, they throw down some three quarter inch crush and raise rents 10% call it, you know, goodwill. We're doing good in the community. And it's like, no, we're, that's not how we're going to operate, you know? So, so you got to include your residents at all times to your point, you know, this is their home. This is, this is their life. And then team often gets overlooked in the pace of the business. And so we have to be investing in team. And then of course we have to serve our investors. So, so for what it's worth, that language has helped me um, the tripod balance of allegiance, remembering, all three components are critical. That's good. If, if I can ask, do you have a, are all three equal or is there a prioritization? And if so, can you share the, the, the ranking? Great question. So I think it depends on the position and kind of the season that you're at in the company, right? I mean, if you're, if you're raising money for a big fund or individual deals, or if you're um, in, in our case, we're growing so rapidly that I'm probably disproportionately investing into our, our team right now. And, uh, and helping with the investors and then, you know, the residents less than I would like, <laughs> I, I enjoy being in parks. I love, I love walking parks and talking with people. I was just at a park yesterday in, in, uh, in Millington, Tennessee and talked with a number of, of people, but, uh, for, for me specifically, it would be, uh, more time spent with, with the team and, and, and second investors and then the third team for, for other team members would probably be the opposite, right? They don't talk with investors much, but they still are mindful of their decisions, right? The impact that they're going to have on the investors. And it's all back to that awareness and mindfulness that you can't, you can't be successful in this business if you lose sight of one of those three. Makes sense. 
Great, great point, Steve. Um, anything else before we part? And if not, maybe where can people find you? How can they get hold of you? Yeah, awesome. It's been a treat to be on here, Ferd. I have a lot of respect for you, and um, you've done some great things for for our company in terms of our contract for deed and. Uh, we're, we're excited about that for sure. Yeah, you can find me at saratogagroup.com and steve at saratogagroup.com. And uh, yeah, again, thanks for, for having me on, Ferd. It's been a blast. You got it. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.